When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 18 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And now it begins. The battle is waged, and now Moses and Aaron are going after Pharaoh. And this is, this is the, um, the battle. So let, we'll just start reading Exodus 7, beginning of verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet... Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So this is just an interesting little prelude to this thing that Moses goes, throws down his staff. It turns into a snake. Remember, this was um, this was Moses in front of the burning bush. And God says, throw down your staff and it turned into a snake. And he put his hand into his cloak. He came out with leprosy, uh, drew water, you know, pulled water out. It turned into blood. All of these were the signs that God gave to Moses in order to prove to Pharaoh that he was from God. So now all of a sudden Moses goes to, to Pharaoh. He does this thing and Moses and, and Pharaoh says, that's just nothing more than a parlor trick. I've got magicians that can do that. And so he calls out his magicians and they follow the same thing. So apparently the, the lesson from here is that Pharaoh is going to believe that Moses is not from God, the people that surround Pharaoh are going to lead Pharaoh to believe that Moses is doing nothing more than a parlor trick. Hey, we can do the same thing. Now, I have no idea, you know, how these things happened, how in the world Moses can do this, but then Pharaoh's magicians can do this the same way. We're not, I mean, the Bible isn't very clear. It's just a story that, that an account, a narrative that's in the Bible. I mean, you can go with uh, things like it, you know, it, it truly is just, you know, a card trick and, and Moses is doing a card trick uh, and, and, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's sorcerers are also doing a card trick. Or you could say that Pharaoh's actually doing miracles from God and 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 his and Pharaoh's magicians are doing card tricks. Uh, you could say even that Pharaoh's magicians perhaps have the power of Satan or something in them and that they're able to do these same things. Whatever it is, I mean, most of these things, miracles are only miracles if you believe that they're miracles, right? And you, it could be a miracle and you could say, I don't believe it's a miracle. Or you could say, it, or you could say something that isn't a miracle is a miracle. I mean, all of these things are what you see with your eyes and taste and, and believe and all this. Any miracle, Jesus said this, even if, uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you show the people that you're Christ? And he's like, listen, I could do all the miracles in the world. I mean, you know, even Moses and Elijah come down, whatever it is, and it's, people aren't going to believe. 
Miracles take two components. One is the act itself, but then it's the heart and the belief of the people that are watching it, right? And um, this account is basically Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, look at the power of God. And Pharaoh's going to say, no, it's not God's power. And God's hardening Pharaoh's heart. <clears throat> and this is a mistake on Pharaoh's part. I look at the trouble in the Middle East today, and I wonder if this goes all the way back to Moses and Pharaoh, that there's, this, there's always going to be this fighting and argumentation uh, in the Middle East because of, because of this. I don't know. I don't know how far it goes back. But anyway, the battle's been set. So now the plagues are going to begin. So we'll start reading uh, in chapter 7, verse 14. This is the plague of blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake and then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With this staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the rivers will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over all the streams and canals over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere, in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the waters of the Nile, and all the waters changed to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. So, this is the first plague. Somehow I would love to have a mnemonic or some kind of memory device to figure out the plagues. But just remember this. The first plague is the Nile turning into blood. Now, a lot of stuff going on here. First of all, how do you interpret this? I mean, did Moses actually put his staff into the water and it turned to blood? Or did it turn the Nile red? And this is up to you and your interpretation of this account in Scripture. Some people need to have a natural explanation for this. Some people are just comfortable with a supernatural explanation of this. Um, I mean, you could go, th th there's different ways of interpreting scripture, right? The first way is you could take a very, very, very literal interpretation of scripture. And I would say a lot of people, a lot of Christians will say, I'm going to take a literal interpretation unless I just know that it's maybe not a literal interpretation. So, when Moses sticks his hand or sticks his staff in the in the Nile, it actually turns into blood. 
And when Aaron raises his arms over Egypt, all of their reservoirs turn into blood. That this could be what the plague is. That's an extremely literal interpretation of this story. Another interpretation of the story might be that that it turned red, but maybe it wasn't blood. Maybe it was blood red, right? That when Moses stuck his staff into the water, it turned red. And there is, um, across the the world, times when uh, algae will come into rivers and reservoirs and things like that. And it, there's the thing called the red algae. I mean, there is kind of a, natu- a, a, a natural explanation that maybe when Moses stuck his staff in, it swirled up red algae, which was already in the water or something like that. I mean, that's kind of like a scientific explanation of how it could happen. Um, or you might just, you know, you could take it that this story isn't necessarily 100% real, um, that something happened, but it, but we're not exactly sure what happened because it was carried down from generation to generation. And people just kind of put together these things. Um, I, like when I say to my children... You know, I would sing to them nursery songs when they were growing up. One of our favorite was um, Little Bunny Foo Foo hopping through the forest, scooping up the meesey mice and bop them on the head. You know, we bopped our kids on the head and sing the song and they'd laugh and giggle and stuff like that. Well, um, I don't think that anybody in our family believes that there was a little bunny Foo Foo that actually went through the forest and scooped up mice and bopped people on the head. I mean, it's just part of the song. Um, but it's but it's relevant. It's fun. You know, it tells a story. Like, what is it that the ten plagues st- tell and, under that situation? Um, I remember reading years ago that the ten plagues fight the ten gods of Egypt. Somebody once went in to look at the gods of Egypt and realized that there was a god of the Nile, and this was a plague against the god of the Nile. There's a god of the sky. There's a god of nature and god of frogs and all that sort of thing. And I think, you know, there are lots and lots of gods in Egypt. If you look at the hieroglyphs and all that, there were probably hundreds or 200 gods. So it wouldn't be that difficult to find a god that applies to each of these 10 plagues and try to figure out who those gods were and what the message and all that. There's a lot of different things you can do in this. And you can actually, if you're a person like me trying to figure out, you could just you know, drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how all this stuff comes together. <clears throat> this is how I take it. If God wanted to turn the river into blood, as it says, he is perfectly capable of doing that. He created the universe. He spoke and the heavens and the earth all happened because I believe that God exists. I believe that God, that nothing in this world happens without God's permission and that God is in every moment of every aspect of our universe. And that, and so, and that he's perfectly capable of turning the Nile into blood. I, that to me is a lot less difficult than creating the universe and sustaining it. Um, and so I don't have a problem saying that the river turned into blood because it, it very well could have. I don't know. I mean, it's an impossible thing. But if you believe in God, you can believe in all sorts of impossible things, right? But for some people, that's difficult. So if they need a different explanation, like maybe Moses stuck his staff in the water and turned into red algae, I'm okay with that. I mean, that that one is kind of a natural explanation. Um, if you believe that, you know, if, if you think that this is all just fairy tales and it's just kind of passed on from generation to generation and there's just a lesson here, 
I, I don't know what the lesson is, um, except that the lesson that is in the scripture, which is that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And the magicians are all there trying to tell Pharaoh that this isn't a real miracle. Hey, we can do the same thing. Pharaoh listens to his magicians, which was mistake number one. He should have seen the power of God. There are always people around you that are going to try to convince you that what you see isn't what you see. And Pharaoh's magicians are the exact same thing. You cannot surround yourself with yes men. And that's what Pharaoh has surrounded himself with. Pharaoh believes, his heart's believed, that there's no magic here, there's no God here, there's no threat here. And so Pharaoh's magicians are like, yeah, 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 we can do the same thing. There is no God. Oh, there's nothing wrong here. You can just continue on your merry way. And he surrounds himself with yes men. And that is the worst mistake that Pharaoh makes. If one magician had said, hey, we can't do this, this is definitely a sign from God, then Pharaoh may have listened to Moses and perhaps stopped all the death and destruction that is about to happen. Now, this is a plague, but I don't know how difficult of a plague this is. There was a stench and a smell, but the people were able to dig near the Nile and get the fresh water that comes up out of the ground, that, you know, that, that water that comes out of the ground near a river. They were able to do that. The ground acts as like a purifier of water. This is why when you pull groundwater out of the water, it's probably some of the freshest water you could ever drink because it's, it's, it got into the ground by going through soil and it comes out of the ground just fresh and clean and wonderful and beautiful. And well water typically is some of the best water, especially if you have an untainted aquifer. But what happens, you know, is a lot of times things are going to the aquifer and that it can't be kind of cleaned by the soil between the ground and the aquifer. Here in Arizona, I think that the, here in Tucson, I think there's an there's a huge aquifer in all of Tucson, my understanding is. I don't study the groundwater, but my understanding is a big, huge aquifer. And it's pretty clean water. The water that comes from the central Arizona canal makes its way down to Tucson because so much of the water's evaporated. The, the proportion of solids in the water to water is so high that it's undrinkable. So they take it and they put it in these settling basins and all that settles down and refills the aquifer. And then the city of Tucson pumps that out of the aquifer and, and gives that to the city of Tucson residents. So we do get the water from the Central Arizona Canal, but we have to go through a process to be able to drink it. But if that's what happened in, in the Nile River, they just dug next to the Nile and you get this water that comes out that apparently is drinkable. And the people are okay with this, I guess. It happened for seven days and um, doesn't really seem to change Pharaoh's heart. Um, yeah, so th I guess if we're trying to figure out you know, how to memorize these plagues, it's the plague of the river or the plague of blood. I guess you could have a, uh, um, what would be a good something to tell you about blood? An injury? An injury somewhere, an injury on your leg. I'll just say that. I skinned my knee, and on my knee, I have an injury with blood. So that's the first plague is blood. All right, we're going to go to the second plague, and that would be the plague of something else. So let's continue reading chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, 
This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, onto the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up onto you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron to stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing. By their secret arts, they also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses and your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So, a couple things here. First of all, the frogs rain down because of Moses and Aaron. And then these magicians, they say, well, we can do the same thing. We can have frogs rain down. Now, this one's interesting because if frogs are raining down and God's causing this, how does Pharaoh know if the frogs are Moses and Aaron's frogs or if these are the sorcerer's frogs? And again, it's because the sorcerers are taking credit for this incredible miracle that God is doing to try to convince Pharaoh in his heart. And this is an interesting, on, just on plague two, Pharaoh is like, okay, I can't take this anymore. Stop it. Uh, tell me the time and I will pray and and we'll get rid of this whole thing. And so Moses goes to God and God actually stops the plague, mid-plague, right? But then Pharaoh just hardens his heart and he goes, you know what? I'm not going to let your people go. I see that there's relief in the land. No way, Jose. You're, you're going to stay here. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And Pharaoh surrounds himself with yes-men. And God does actually relieve what's happening here. And... Um, and the plague relents for just a little bit. Now, would that be a, have you thought about what that plague would be like? I mean, just having frogs come up out of the Nile, frogs everywhere, frogs in the ovens, frogs in the beds, frogs everywhere. For here, we live in a pretty sealed containment. We called our houses here, right? And we don't even like tarantulas or, or uh, scorpions to come in our house. People freak out by that. And in a scorpion, not too many come in our house. We try to seal. But frogs probably are not going to come into your house. So we'd be pretty protected by this. But 
But back in the time of Egypt, I mean, people left their windows open, people left their doors open. There was no way to stop frogs from coming into everything that you had in your life. It must have been challenging. The only analogy I have or, the, or that I can think of to this was about 20 years ago. No, it was before kids. No, I think we had kids. I don't remember. My parents had a cabin in Heber Overgard, and we went to, to the cabin one summer. And this was, I think probably Kyrie may have been born or maybe she wasn't born. I don't remember. That's our oldest. And Jennifer's brother and his wife joined us and we were there at the cabin and we look out into the wilderness, into the forest. It was surrounded by trees. And all of a sudden there was a army of tarantulas. It was a tarantula migration. And there must have been millions, if not tens of millions of tarantulas that were crawling across the desert floor, kind of going around the house and just going through the forest. They were on a mission to move from one place to another. There were millions of tarantulas. Now, I have only seen this once in my life. It freaked us out. We had never seen this. But could you imagine if you had that many tarantulas just everywhere and that they weren't migrating through, but they just came and stayed in your property? in your food, in your oven. Now, tarantulas are harmless. If you're a little animal, they, you know, they're, they are deadly. They can kill animals with their pinchers. But you can put a tarantula on your on your hand. And, you know, people have tarantulas, they're pets. I mean, they, they really are a harmless animal. I know they look scary. And I know that they're, um, you know, they're a spider. And a lot of people don't spiders. But as far as spiders go, I would rather have a tarantula walking across the table than anything else because I know that it's harmless. And I'd, ha- I'd let it walk on my hand and play with it for a while. Uh, we've had tarantulas and pets um, all growing up. I mean, that's that's what we did. Uh, they're a great little thing. But, they're, so they're about as harmless as a frog. But if there were millions of tarantulas everywhere, it would it would drive me nuts. I would not like that at all. It would be a horrid plague. And it was a horrid plague. And... Pharaoh sees that it's a horrid plague. He says, please, let's stop this thing. But then Moses stops it. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God. And it's going to continue on. So those are the first two plagues. So I guess you could picture a skin knee. And then on top of the skin knee, uh, vision a frog sitting on your skin knee. If you can get those two images in your mind, we're going to build upon that. We will be able to figure out how to come up with the 10 plagues and we'll just be able to memorize it from now on till the end of eternity. So the first one is a skinned knee and the next is a frog sitting on the skinned knee. Those are the first two plagues, blood in the River Nile and then the plague of frogs. I think we'll end it there and would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the lessons of the plagues. Help us to understand your incredible power and that you control all things. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.